what a week it's been. So much to talk about and so many things we can't talk about. Me and my friend Mark, we're going to stop watching. <laughs> oh. I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Behind the Gorilla. And uh, we're, for us, it's a little different. Because you're you guys are listening to this on Monday, but we recorded this all the way back on Wednesday due to Harris heading to uh, Seattle for the weekend, so we figured we'd just go ahead and get a jump on that, so we didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, we talked briefly about recording like while I'm in the airport on Sunday, and just chancing that passing adults hear me talk about, you know, whatever horrible nonsense that happened Friday night, but. Yeah, we're just we figured we'd just knock it out. Yeah. We just watched AEW. We're that's we fresh. That's a positive thing we got going on. Uh you know, it's it, it it's good. It's a good time. It's yeah. fine. We're yeah. fine. Yeah, we're not we're, tired at all. No, 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 no. I don't have to get up at seven AM to go sit at the DMV. Definitely not. This is everything's great. Yeah. So you might be wondering why we're even recording a podcast, and we we don't really have much of an answer. You but... might wonder that every week. <laughs> I know we wonder it every week. But uh, this is going to be a very, very, very different episode because we are not talking about wrestling whatsoever except a little bit here at the beginning um, with what we just watched with AEW because we're doing something a little different because what month is it, Harris? Uh, it's Halloween month, Mark. It, it is definitely Halloween month. And, uh, oh, if there was just some big, you know, Halloween horror type of movie that just might star one of the biggest and most influential wrestlers in the history of this podcast, do you feel like that'd be worth talking about? Yeah. You mean like some sort of iconic horror movie franchise? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that would definitely be worth talking about if well, such a thing existed, hypothetically. Well, that's good because that's exactly what we're doing. Because our patron saint, David Arquette, is most known, well, at least for us, he's definitely most known as the greatest wrestler of all time. But he's also right. an actor on the side. And he did a fairly successful, you know, little little horror movie back in the 90s. And we just figured it was appropriate to talk about that because it's David Arquette and it's Halloween time and neither of us wanted to make a whole big thing for a wrestling um, episode. So here we are. Here we are. I feel like also a lot of the Halloween related wrestling things we've already covered in one way or another. Either that or they're too good for this podcast. Right. They're either actually good or they're so obviously bad that we've already hit them. I'm thinking of the sumo monster truck match specifically at Halloween Havoc. We could have just reissued that just podcast. Again. Listen, we still one. might. We still might. There might be one week where we're just like, I can't, I can't do it. I just don't care. And then we just drop that one again and see who notices. It, it could. It, it definitely could happen. Um, 
but you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. So we're gonna talk, of course, about Scream today. Because that is David Arquette's most famous role other than WCW champion. And we figured we figured for this show is appropriate. So if you're not, you know, if you uh, are not into movies or anything like that, or really just want to hear a wrestling podcast, then this, you know, this you can listen to the first part and then check out, and we would not be offended whatsoever because we still got you to listen to at least part of the show, and that's all that matters <laughs> when it comes to the stats. So that's fine with me. But uh, just for a warning here, it's gonna be a little different, a little bit of a movie podcast here today. So on that note. What do you think of uh, Dynamite that we just watched, Harris? I it, it's so fun to just get to watch it live with everyone else. This is what I was talking about before we went on the air. Not just sort of catching up on the gifts and reading everything that you tweeted and that everyone else tweeted. I really enjoyed it. I feel like it it started off super strong and like the matches at the end were great. Maybe it's just because I'm getting tired i i'm gonna go ahead <laughs> and get my two negative comments out of the way right now uh sure. number one uh medium warm warm take here i don't care that Britt baker's a doctor is she an actual doctor is that why that's yes. her whole thing she's an yeah, actual see, i don't dentist. care i don't care that's like if like xavier woods has a phd and that's cool but that's like a cool thing to know about him if he came out every week and was like albert einstein but, I mean, no, that would work because he's, but Harris, you know, he's funny, but no, I don't like. But but Harris, he's not actively like a professor at a college at the same time as being a wrestler. <laughs> she is a 100 percent full time dentist and then wrestles one day a week for AEW. <laughs> OK, just kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> like, no, That's... she's. She's ridiculous. legitimately a fully practicing dentist still. That is her main job, and this that is a side is job. She's just wow. like, oh, I'll just be a wrestler too. That's got to be so busy. I know. My word, what does your schedule look like? Because you got it like Wednesday's a travel day. I but mean, see, so it's awesome. That's crazy. Okay, it makes a lot more sense now because I was like, <laughs> I, like that's impressive that she's qualified, but – they're really push. It's like Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and she's dressed like one. And her finisher is the jawbreaker or whatever. And you're just like, yeah, I, okay, I get it. It's not that good. But, okay, that makes a lot more yeah, sense. Then. This isn't good Isaac Yankum. Like, is no, that's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Why is everybody so into this? Okay, that makes way more sense. Well, that's good. That's point number one. Um Oh, Point number awesome. two, I get that Kenny Omega is the cleaner. Uh, barbed wire on a broom looks stupid. Yeah, that's yeah. a dumb thing. It Which you know it doesn't look great. Doesn't look great. No, I'll but agree. like I, I don't know. I barbed wire bat doesn't make a lot more sense. But I guess there's just some part of your brain that accepts that a bat could be used as a weapon. So right, it's a sure. little easier to accept than a broom, which just looks. It, it's quite funny. I mean, it was the, I, I, I liked that match. It's fun to see those guys all square off, especially because I'm still so used to thinking of uh, Paik, as I've decided to call him, and John Moxley as being <laughs> WWE guys. Yeah, we couldn't figure it out because it's yeah. I, it I can't figure it out, or man. It I everyone says it differently. Every announcer I, says it differently. The 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 like Justin Roberts says it differently. Justin Roberts literally just merges the two, and it comes out like. 
Pike and uh, Pike, yeah. and you're like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. Part of that is his funny ringside voice too. Well, sure, sure, but the announcers but, don't yeah. know. I feel like I, 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 my theory on this, I don't know this for a fact. My theory on this is that his name is Pack, but Americans see it and think, well, he's super British. It's got to be Pock like with an accent yeah and that's where the confusion comes from because nobody is quite sure because i was so like i said and then all of a sudden i heard a bunch of pox and i was like oh okay i guess it's pock and now i hear both and i don't know yeah i i like i said Pake. that's the compromise we're just calling him Pake with a hard a um but yeah i'm just i'm still in the mindset of thinking of him as a wwe guy because that was where i saw almost all of his work that's where i was introduced to him so seeing him and Moxley in the ring with Kenny Omega is still really weird and really exciting. And oh, we get yeah. Moxley and Paik one-on-one next week, so that'll be fun too. He just yeah. got pinned tonight for the first time in like a calendar year at least, if not longer. Yeah, That's pretty wild. Yeah, pretty much. But, oh, that was so good. That was such a good finish to that match. With, yeah, for sure. You know, because Moxley's out there just about to go to town on the hated Omega. And then Pac's like, no, don't be doing that. I got a win streak. Like, he's like, I want to win. And Mox is like, I don't care about winning. Oh, it was just so good. It was just done so well to build up all of their characters. Everyone that's benefited. The, that's the theme of the show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, you're like, oh, yeah, this this fits with the story. And the this is what the character would do in this situation. And now I'm intrigued to see what the character does next week. Yeah, me too. Like, go figure. I love the uh, I love the stretcher spot to open the show. I think yeah. okay. the reason I, that works so well Daniels for me is dead. No, he's dead for real, dude. That pile driver was nasty. You could hear his head. Yeah, hit, hit the ramp. I think it's because it's a pile driver that that spot really worked. Because you're yeah. kind of used to seeing people get stretchered out. And you don't think much of it. But if there's a move where you're like, hey, he might actually be dead. It's getting dropped on your head onto the ramp. Yep. Like straight up within the first four minutes of the show. And like there was a kid in the front row like screaming the whole time, which was (laughs) annoying, but kind of helped. Yeah. It just made you kind of unsettled. And like you have Matt and Nick and and all these people like come out like checking on them. Like I love – that's one of the best things that AEW is doing. They have people come out to – you know, like help the baby faces when they're getting beat up or, or stuff like that. They like they do that, which is just it's just logical common sense wrestling that has been thrown out for so long now. Yeah, and like I said last week, I think part of it has to do with the fact that like in and out of kayfabe, it's clearly a very tight knit locker room mm-hmm. and you know like three or four of the biggest faces as wrestlers are also three or four of the biggest people running the show. Yeah. So, if, if, like, of course they would come out because this is, you know, a talent that they've worked with a lot and has been integral to, you know, starting this promotion. Like, it fit. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else? The only other thing, uh, the Cody Rhodes video package oh, was amazing. All of their video packages are so good. Yeah. But that one was just – that. that's the coolest Cody Rhodes has ever looked. And Cody Rhodes is a cool guy. Like, I like him, but that, like – that really got me into it because they kind of, they have a hard line to walk with him because he is kind of running the show, 
but they don't want him to be a crazy authority figure yet. Mm-hmm. And the way they were able to strike that note of, you know, I think it was JR saying when Chris Jericho gets off the plane that day, he just has to worry about winning a match. When yeah. Cody Rhodes gets off the plane that day, he's got to worry about winning the match and the four meetings he has before that to run the company. Like that was just a really cool way of taking his real life power in the company and turning it into like an underdog babyface thing mm-hmm. that that's how much he loves wrestling and that's how hard he works for this promotion and all this kind of stuff. It was a really nice twist. It was, it's exciting to see and it will be against Jericho because he ended up beating Darby Allen tonight after right. a really good match, which was which was so much fun. Like we we got to talk. We're we're a we're half a Darby Allen podcast at this point. This <laughs> dude is a freaking star. That's gonna be one of our new show mottos: is Darby Allen is a freaking star. <laughs> oh man, this guy's awesome. He's so unique, so different. He's so good. We've already talked about how incredible his promos are. Like. Oh, he's he's great. And what a great match with Jericho. This is a match, again, it's a throwaway championship match. You know Darby Allen is not going to become AEW champion in the first right. ever title defense. Like, like, it's not happening, period. But they were able to get him over so well, and very differently than, like, how Cody Rhodes was able to get him over back in their yeah. match at Fighter Fest. Because you do the resilient, you know, the small underdog resilient thing, then you tack on, you know, the interference and everything. it was just a great heel win for Jericho, being just the most despicable person ever, duct taping his hands behind him, which was awesome. Except I think it was a horrible idea because I don't think Darby Allen's shoulders will ever be the same after that. Yeah, it doesn't look safe to work with. It looks uncomfortable and like a great way to just blow out both of your shoulders. Every at once, time he landed, but... I was like, he ah, like separated shoulder, broken collar. Like I was just waiting on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, commentary... I feel like that was one of those things that was thought about beforehand, and everyone was like, "That's an awesome idea." And then they went out there, and it's like, "Oh, this was not a great idea." Hmm. But man, yeah, just dude, land. that springboard with no hands was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's the kid's good. You that know, was he's awesome. just yeah, he's fun to watch. Yes, he is. And, and commentary did such a great job putting him over too, because they're talking about you know just underlining the fact that Jericho has to cheat to win a guy has to cheat. Right. To win a match with a guy who's literally got both hands tied behind his back. Right. And I saw people complaining about it where they're like, Jericho needing all this. It's like, that's not the – it doesn't matter. When you're the heel, it doesn't matter. Right. Well, that I, – I think you were going to say that's not the point. But, like, that is the point. You know yes. what I mean? It is – it's finding ways to do stuff like that and it not get old. Mm-hmm. And it's it's working so far. I mean, you know, it's kind of easier to do right. when you've only ever had three weeks of a TV show. And not 30 years. I think think that's part of WWE's problem is there's nothing they can possibly do that we haven't seen before. And Chris Jericho cheats to win or beats down the good guys three weeks in a row. We're like, it's brilliant. It's so good. (laughs) But a lot of this stuff is not complicated. You know, you just have to execute it well. Yes, that's the whole thing. Wrestling is very, very simple. But it's just overcomplicated so many times. While we're talking about this. Um, you don't have to do it right now unless you just want to, but at some point, look up Orange Cassidy's merchandise on ProWrestlingTees.com. I don't want to. 
It's no, Mark. It's amazing. It's literally just like he didn't fill anything out. Like everyone else, you click on it and it'll have like a little blurb about who they are or what they do or whatever. And then some of the different T-shirt designs underneath. Mm-hmm. And you click on his face, like the Orange Cassidy page, and it just says, write bio here, please less than 500 words. <laughs> and yeah, then that all, is of the, funny. all of the T-shirts are just like the blank, you know, like your design here sign, like a little watermark. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> like it's he didn't do anything. Right. He kayfabe the T-shirt store. That is very funny. <laughs> it's incredible. But it's also very stupid. And anyone that has bought any of those is a total moron. I, but that is very no funny. Way, there's no way anyone on the planet has ever bought one. But it's such a nice touch. Are you kidding me? Even... Wrestling fans are the stupidest purchasers, what is it? consumers, that's the word I'm looking They're the stupidest consumers go. in the world. And we know because we are part of them. And you have Bailey shirts. I have multiple, yeah. Right. Well, it's just, it was so funny because I was just, I was looking around, you know, because they released a couple new ones for AEW, like different new factions and stuff. And I was just scrolling through, and they don't, like, advertise for Orange Cassidy, really. I was just scrolling through the list of all of the wrestlers and thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, I like him. Let's see what he's got. I don't I don't know how many people have even found it or know about it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. like, the, the amount of people who like Orange Cassidy and think, oh, let me buy some of his merch. It's probably not that many. It's just a great little know. joke. It's a great little character moment. I think that's why... Because it is transparently silly what he's doing, but he's just so committed to it. And little touches like that <laughs> are just lovely. It's amazing. The only other uh, worse, better, you know, you know what I mean? Like merch that was so bad it's good that I can think of was when Blue Pants got a shirt, the oh, NXT yes. jobber. I, rem- I do remember that. Oh, it was incredible. It was a gray shirt, and on the front it said Blue Pants. And then there was a little cartoon doodle of a pair of blue pants. Mm-hmm. I want to know yes, how many of those was. they sold. Like, do you think they printed more than 100 of them? There's no way. Well, how many did you buy? I didn't buy it. Oh, That's please. the thing. Even I didn't buy it. Oh, please. And I love I love me some blue pants. <laughs> <laughs> Her theme song is just a guy singing the Price is Right theme song. <laughs> Which is funny. That is funny. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, I love blue pants, but oh, that's man. not that much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Harris, I'm going to talk about what I... The one thing that I really mm-hmm. did not enjoy in this match at all... I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Look, mm-hmm. I cannot stand a Marco stunt. I, I can't. I respect him. It's fine. You know, he can he can work fine. I hate it. I hate watching him. And he's and he ruins the best tag team in all of AEW in Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, and it was very sad because I didn't know until the show that Luchasaurus had been injured, and that broke mm-hmm. my heart because he's just the best. He's the best thing in AEW, and I don't care what anyone says. It's like Luchasaurus and Darby Allen are the best things in AEW, and that's so sad. And so it goes from getting to see Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy taking on the Lucha Bros to Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt in a tag team. That was so disappointing. And he, he, I just, I, I, I just, I can't, one, I can't take him seriously, which is, I mean, maybe hypocritical if I like Darby Allen, but I, I can't take him seriously. I don't like his look. I hate everything he does to be funny. And everything, and it's just, 
I just I just don't like watching it at all. Okay. So here's my question. You might not know the answer to this. Is Luchasaurus actually hurt, or was this just their way of no? I think not he, having... I, no. He's. I'm pretty sure he's actually hurt. Okay. Because I was gonna I say saw, it's one thing. I saw some articles that from earlier today about like mm-hmm. I went back and looked and like I saw articles from earlier like this afternoon gotcha. that was saying about him hurting a hamstring or something. So interesting. Okay. Because I was gonna say it's one thing if they decide to do it. Like they did in the first match, like for kayfabe reasons, like to create a storyline going forward and to keep, you know, Luchasaurus or Jurassic Express from losing clean this early in the show's history. Like they want to draw that out a little bit. If he actually got hurt. They've already lost several times. Okay, well, never mind then. Yeah, I know. But if they're just, you know, if they wanted to trot him out, if, if he actually got hurt and they were like, okay, well, we still have X amount of time to kill. So just throw him out there. I mean, I don't what like I, I I was kind of busy during that match packing and I had an eye on it, but like what what bothers you about him? I mean, he seems like a smaller version of Jungle Boy to me. That's kind of that that seems like the whole thing. I just I'm It's just, like a just, boy and his dinosaur and his smaller boy. I mean, it's like it's like watching Hornswoggle. I just I can't I just I can't take I can't take him seriously when he's in there and I don't like I don't like his mannerisms of trying to be funny. To me, it's just really, really annoying. Huh. And it's also, and part of it, to be fair, is just the fact that I don't like that he's in this tag team of two guys that I really, really like. Right. He's that, just, that is he's definitely like, part of it. He's like the Spike Dudley. It's like No, but not even. Spike Dudley was, was better than, like, I enjoyed Spike Dudley to a degree. And I think that's kind of what they're going for, though. He's like the yeah. weird third wheel. He's yeah. the third wheel that makes it a tricycle. But I don't like this. Ha- I don't think this group. I, it doesn't fit having a third person for me. It just mm. feels forced and un. It does. It just doesn't. The put when they put Jungle Boy with Luchasaurus, that just meshed immediately and just felt. Yeah. This works so well. The Calvin and Hobbes thing, and now you throw in this little. <laughs> Now you throw in this little pipsqueak who's just running around annoying everyone, and it's like this just it does it doesn't work. This is it's okay. like it's like Scrappy Doo. You got Shaggy oh, man, and Scooby. You got Shaggy and Scooby, this iconic duo, and then all of a sudden you got Scrappy <laughs> running around. Hey, Uncle Scoop, and it's like that's Marco Stunt, and I can't stand him. I can't stand oh, it. Man. I got that's nothing good... against the guy. Like he can work. Yeah. I just I don't like this. You're ruining something that I think is so good. I'm going to have to watch more closely going forward, but the Scrappy-Doo comparison, that, that translates your problem very well. So I'm going to have to see if I agree with that or not. Yeah, so it's just disappointing. And then the fact that the Lucha Bros are supposed to be the best tag team in the world, and they're getting taken out by Marco Stunt for like 20 minutes. And it's just like, this just doesn't, this doesn't, this doesn't help anybody. In my, I don't that like that didn't help anybody. In my opinion, they should have come out. You know, Luchasaurus is out and all this stuff, and then they they win pretty 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 quickly. That's the way I thought it should have gone. No, but. I mean, if Luchasaurus is actually hurt, then you run into the issue of like, okay, we have a television show that we have to run on a schedule, so this right. match has to be 17 minutes long. Like, you got to do. That. Oh, please! Like, but you this couldn't is, make the Moxley know, and Pac and that tag match go longer, or you can make the main. Come I don't on, know. they all could you go don't. Longer. Okay, here's the only thing. You only have so much time when they all go to 20-minute draws. If you don't want it to go to a draw, 
you well, ca- you but the, have uh, to the main event you know? wasn't a time limit. It was a street fight. It was a street fight with TV time. They specified that. Did they and say I that? noticed I that. that. Yeah, yeah. They literally I, I love this, Mark. This oh, is me another too. example of like doing the little things right. The main event is advertised as a title match. Every match, every TV match they have has a 20-minute time limit draw. Right. So they start the match at 9.39, the entrances begin. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yes, exactly, because like they don't want to telegraph the ending. They can't start the match with five minutes left. Right, Because then right. you know you're going to get a short match. You know what I mean? Like you, you run into a situation where at some point I imagine they'll have to do that. Because you don't want all your matches to be exactly 20 minutes. You know what sure, I mean? But sure, when you're sure. ready to end the show, whatever. But that's just that attention to detail. And they mentioned like when Justin Roberts was doing the entrances, he was like with a 20 minute, you know, time limit or you know, TV time, basically. But it was 20 minutes. Like they lined it up perfectly because mm-hmm. that's what you would do if you were a wrestling show. You know, you would make sure you had time to finish your main event if it went 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. I love it. I love the time limits. Because it makes it feel like a sport. Right. Like By the way, that they're doing. All right, pivoting pivoting back to the wild wild world of WWE for a second. They're just I feel like they're just booking Seth Rollins and The Fiend in like all of the gimmick matches they can think of I don't now. Know. You're going to have to tell me about this. I I didn't pay. I don't know anything well, the happened one, on Raw. So I don't, I don't a, care. I officially don't care about WWE and so you're going to have to let me know about everything. Okay, so I didn't uh I didn't watch Raw, but like for example, in Saudi Arabia, they're having a Falls Count Anywhere match. Right. That was very funny cuz on Twitter everyone's talking about how the ref's going to be like, "Oh, you can't pin him in the locker room." Yeah, no, it'll be something terrible. Somebody I heard on another podcast was like, watch, because it's Saudi Arabia. He'll pin him somewhere, and they'll be like, no, 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 that was holy ground. It doesn't count. <laughs> it's different. Uh, that would be that would be pretty funny. And then I think this is only a house show match, but somewhere in New York in a couple of weeks, they're booked in a steel cage match. So I'm just really thrilled to see how they get a no finish in a steel cage match. Uh, I, I, isn't that like a how? Yeah, that's like a house show match, though. I think so. Said. Yeah. So that doesn't. So that doesn't matter. That doesn't quite count. But it just if if they were to just double down and be like, no, these two will literally fight forever and never come to any resolution. I would at least respect that. That is kind just of just like the, the lead right down like. The Fiend is so powerful that he's just broken all of the rules and can't be defeated, like, on technicalities constantly. That is pretty funny, actually. But I don't I mean, know. That being said, I'm not going to watch it, so, like, who cares? I kind of yeah. hope something nutty happens. I'll, it just, reminds I'll, me of I'll, I'll see what everyone says on out. Twitter. Yeah. It reminds me of that Kayfabe News article that came out a while ago after it's, like, exhausted wrestlers continue to battle after being booked in a Falls Count Nowhere match. They're just <laughs> staggering around the arena in the ring, pinning each other, and it doesn't count. They're just in limbo. Well, we all know that that Eddie Edwards-Bobby Lashley um, impact title match is still going on from from the... Uh, from the, uh, <laughs> the... Oh, shoot. What was the name of I it? I don't think anybody knows that, man. I don't know what you're talking about. He is from the... Uh, 
What was the the Hardy show? The ultimate delete, not not the ultimate deletion, because that was the one that WWE called it. The final the deletion. The final deletion. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was from that show, and they just huh? kept fighting. They're like fighting out in the woods and everything. Then they just disappeared, and, <laughs> and the match never ended. Well, Bobby Lashley is doinking Rusev's wife now in really I overt died. ways. Every I don't want to know that. I don't care. <laughs> I just. I want to know why they hate Rusev so much. I'm genuinely curious because he's a great guy and he's very funny and charismatic, yes, genuinely entertaining. And I want to see him more on my television. And it's like they pushed him for three years as a boring foreign heel. Like one of those years was good. And then the rest was boring. And then he turned face and we were like, hey, this guy's really interesting and entertaining. Let us cheer for him. And they were like, no, <laughs> we're going to put him in the dumbest storylines you've ever seen. Because we hate him and we don't think he deserves to be with Lana. So she's going to cheat on him every three months until they quit. It, it does, yeah, it does And happen. they're still there, man. It's it, sad. It, it, yeah. Yes, yes it is. I don't know. That was it. We can. We don't have to talk about it anymore. I went on a tangent right. there. Well, that's good. All right. So uh, AEW good. Everything about it is good. It is fantastic TV. It's must watch every week so far. I love it, and uh, I didn't watch NXT yet. I might, I might go through it at some point in the week. Um, don't care about WWE. Um, NWA that happened last night. That was awesome again. Another great show from them. Man, that is so much fun to watch, and it's perfect because it's an hour long. So yeah. you just watch it. You can watch a handful of matches. There's going to be like one or two squash matches. Very old school. And it's just, it's great. It is great. They are geniuses, and it is perfect for the wrestling world that we're in right now. I've only gotten to watch some of the first episode, but I feel like it's slotting back into, with NXT kind of bumping to two hours and trying to elevate its game to go toe-to-toe with AEW, I feel like the NWA show kind of fits that NXT slot. Yeah. Where it feels kind of small-time, and it feels developmental, and it's only an hour. And it's going to be like a couple promos, one or two squash matches, and a good main event. Yeah. That's very digestible. So I'm glad that they're doing that. You're right. I think they fit a really good niche in the market. I saw another thing on Twitter. This doesn't have anything to do necessarily with NWA, but it made me think about it. And I don't remember I don't remember who it was, but I just saw, I saw the tweet pop up on, on the timeline. And they were saying one of the reasons why there's – no stars anymore like what we used to have is because there's no squash matches yep and i i saw that and i was like that is a that's so true Mm -hmm. we're never building anybody up Mm -hmm. and making them seem like this big thing like that Mm -hmm. never happens anymore it only happens whenever they bring they bring some vince brings some giant guy in and he beats the crap out of everyone for a few weeks and loses in the first pay-per-view like that's the only thing that we ever see you know braun Strowman or whatever like we don't see the regular squash <laughs> matches, and that 100% has to do with that. Yeah, well, and I know we talked about this in the past, but, like, if wrestling is all about the ascent, and, like, that's where the fun and the storytelling comes from, that's why NXT has always worked so well. And I don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up, but it's because they have that more, like, territorial booking style where it's like we're going to build up wrestlers for several weeks and then – they're going to have a big match, but it's going to be like the payoff. We don't have to have these two great wrestlers fight for 25 minutes 
seven weeks in a row. Right. You can't do that. Like it ru- like they made that move. I mean, you know, in the Monday Night Wars to like get you sure. to tune in every week. Sure. But now that it's just the norm, it just beats you to death. Yes, it does. With rematches. And yes, yeah, if you can get away with that, it's it's way better. Yeah. I agree. And so NWA has started to do that some and it's it's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really good. And I, I like I like it a lot. Yeah. Um so that's really all I got with wrestling so far. Anything else that you, you Um have? No, I'm trying to even guess what I think might happen. You don't want to talk about the uh, terrible graphics on 2K20? I mean, it's the same game. I'm probably still going to buy it, but it's like it looks the same as <laughs> Every other one that comes out. Everyone's Here's talking thing, Mark, about how much worse it is, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. I play bought. Any of it. Listen, I bought WWE 2K18 on the Nintendo Switch. You <laughs> cannot kill me. Like, oh, this PS4. These PS4 graphics don't look that good. Whatever, man. The Switch game. I I, I sold it back after I played it for a while. I kind of wish I'd kept it just as like a relic. If you ever set up a match with more than three people, it would just play at half speed. Like the more people you added to it, just couldn't process it. It was physically incapable of running it. That's so whenever funny. you had any multi-man match, it would just, it was just real slow. It was That's terrible. Funny. That's terrible. <laughs> but I hadn't had a game console since a PS2. So I was like, I mean, this is bad, but it's still better than what I was used to, which is nothing. Yeah, that's what I still got. I still got PS2 right over there in the corner, and I got SmackDown hey. vs. Raw 2005, which is freaking incredible. I got SmackDown vs. Raw 2011, 2010. Yeah, still play those sometimes. The fun thing about getting into wrestling late is I have like 15 years worth of backlog of wrestling video games that I can check out and buy for like $3. SmackDown vs. Raw 2005 is a solid one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, 2000. Played, it's either 2004 uh, or 2005. I think – no, it's 2005. Got Batista and John Cena on the cover. That's a solid yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. I've had – um, I have 2008 and 11. I'm pretty sure I've played both of yeah. those. 11's the last one for PS2, so I still have that one. Okay, that must be the one that I have then because I wanted to get the latest one. But. Now, the, the problem with playing 2005 is all of the controls are like 100% different from when they switched them all. <laughs> So it's very, very difficult switching in between playing games because you're like, all right, R stick to lift people. And it's like, oh, nope, nope, that's wrong. Nope, it's, it's a square button. Now. And you're, it's very, very complicated. Yeah. So, but but it's a good – it's a solid game with a good, with pretty good uh, storylines on it too. The oh, other thing good. is the video games is how I learned the names for all the wrestling moves. <laughs> yeah. When you create all your move sets, spend like nine hours going through moves, picking moves for your creative players. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, – that's where I got all those from. But anyway, all right. Well, that's all I got for wrestling, current wrestling going on. Yeah, I think we've stalled long enough. Let's get to it. <laughs> all right. So now we're turning from a wrestling podcast into a movie podcast because we're going to talk about the movie Scream. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is 
playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello. Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Like scary movies. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, what's wrong with me? Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Give me another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You make the rules. The police are always on track, but they watch Palm Night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Now, Harris, I rewatched Scream uh, on Sunday, and I got my dad to watch for the first time because he hadn't watched it. Oh, very it. nice. And then last night, I stayed up till like four in the morning watching Scream two and three. Oh, jeez. And, and then watched part of Scream four today. I'd never seen the sequels before because I'm I'm mostly an anti sequel person. Yep. With a lot of things, obviously, there's like Star Wars and stuff, but I don't count those. Um. You know, or, or superhero movies or whatever. But I'm mostly kind of against sequels. Like, I, I refuse to see Ghostbusters 2. I refuse to see Major League 2 or 3. You know, there's just certain movies I'm just like, I'm I'm done. I should have quit after Jurassic Park. But I did watch those. <laughs> yeah. I did watch Everyone. those sequels. Seth. Jurassic World isn't terrible. It's fun enough for what it is, even though it's still very stupid at times. I think... Everyone should have quit after Jurassic Park. The I, actors, yes. the producers, all yes, of them. Yes, yes, I do agree. Um, but just Ma- okay, hang on, pause. If David Arquette were in Jurassic Park, who should he play? What's the best possible outcome? Jurassic there? Park? Uh, are you kidding me? He would have played Donald Gennaro, who gets eaten on the toilet. Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> he would have been the blood sucking lawyer, one hundred percent. I was gonna say because like. On the he one hand, played, I, would, uh, I or, would love to see him play Ian Malcolm and just do all the stuff <laughs> that Jeff Goldblum does, but you can't take Jeff Goldblum out of the movie. You know what I mean? You have no, to try and make it work. No. You're absolutely right. He'd be the lawyer. That or gets, or he would have been ball. a thinner version of Dennis Nedry. I could, see, I could see that too, but I feel like the, the fatness is part of what makes that character really work. Yeah, I agree. I do it's agree. also very funny if he's John Hammond, but like a weird Willy Wonka <laughs> sort of John Hammond who's like, young and virile for no particular reason it's <laughs> with just kind grandkids. of unsettling yeah with grandkids. <laughs> oh, i man. think we've stumbled onto something here oh, let's remake say, jurassic park with david arquette that's we should start doing this segment every week we just pick a movie and then and just, just say would it, it? would it be better or worse with david arquette and what would he play yeah, that's a great idea. The, I listened to the, a movie podcast. Do you, uh, you know the Bill Simmons podcast, The Rewatchables? I've listened to one or two it's episodes. Great. Of it. It's really good. And they do a segment where they'll say, would this movie be better um, if it had? Oh, shoot. Now I just blanked on his name with uh, Danny Trejo. They're like, would this movie be better with Danny <laughs> Trejo in it? 
we can do that with David Arquette. Oh yeah, for sure. And every answer is yes. Just spoilers, but right. But uh, no, that's that's awesome. I love that. So anyway, speaking of horror movies, because uh, I guess some people would call Jurassic Park somewhat of a horror movie, definitely a monster movie. So we got to talk about Scream, because this was really the the launching point for our patron saint. Really, and and even to this day, it's pretty much the top of the mountain, other than WCW champion, for for David Arquette. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, so far, right? That's kind of the the that's caveat true. you have that's to true. put that's on true. it. But I mean, I do. I feel like this is kind of what, yeah, put him on the map as a comic actor, which is just you. You will probably know more about like the behind the scenes stuff than I do, just because you you seem to have done more research, but. The one thing that I do know reading about this and just kind of poking around last night while I watched Scream was originally his character, Dewey, was supposed to get killed off because, you know, go watch Scream if you haven't seen it. It's a great movie, but spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, spoilers. Sure, definitely. He gets gets stabbed by the killer. Yeah. And you don't even – correct me if I'm wrong. You don't see it happen. No. He just comes out of the house. And he's got a knife in his back, which isn't meant to be funny. Uh, but I think because it's David Arquette, you're kind of like, wait, really? That's how? And then he's done. Right. But the director thought that he was so funny and liked the character so much that he decided to include a scene where they're taking Dewey to the hospital Yep. so that if audiences liked him too – then they could just say, oh, yeah, he's fine. He survived and just work him back into the movie, even though I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen to anyone else in the movie. Everyone else gets <laughs> no, it super killed. Now, OK, funny, funny thing about that. So I was going to talk about this a little bit later after we talked about the movie a little bit, but I don't care. Now we've already talked about David Arquette and, and, and that whole thing. So originally, David Arquette was actually approached for the role of Billy Loomis. Who ends up being the main killer, <laughs> which would be a very different movie. That is, yeah, that I like David Arquette. Don't think that would have worked as but, well. But but and I and he didn't either because he asked to read for the part of Dewey after reading the script, and the role described Dewey as like hunky and like big and buff, <laughs> and so people didn't really think that would fit with Arquette, but he was still allowed to like audition, and and Wes Craven, the director just lo- loved him so much that he gave him he gave him the role anyway and uh and 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 so another funny thing about him you just mentioned about how he was supposed to get killed off and you know it looks like he is dead and then all of a sudden they're wheeling him into the ambulance and he's still alive that exact same thing happens in scream 2 <laughs> okay scream 2 is not as good as Scream 1, even though right. on Rotten Tomatoes it has a higher critic rating, which is really stupid. But it is still pretty brilliant with how meta it is. Okay. And how much it pokes fun at the movie itself. Because, like, a movie is being made about the f- about the first Scream in Perfect. this movie. Like, about the events. And so it's very, it's very, very meta. But at one point, again, spoilers, especially if you haven't seen Scream 2, but... There's one part where David Arquette, again, gets stabbed, like, multiple times by the by the villain. And and you're like, 
oh, I, because I haven't seen them yet. And I was like, I know he's in the others. That's weird. And then at the end, he's like wheeled out in a stretch in a thing again. They're like, we found him and he's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, like, this is awesome. (laughs) So does this mean, we'll jump ahead again. We can talk about like the actual films and the franchise in a second. Does that mean they don't? continue to like almost kill him off in three and four because that would be incredible if every movie they brought david arquette like a little closer to death and brought him back in like a more elaborate and over-the-top way sort of like how in the new star wars movies like um captain phasma is like you know was on all the posters for episode seven and she's got her silver helmet and it's you know it's 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 brienne of tarth from game of thrones and she's a big woman and she's powerful and it's cool and then she just gets killed yeah. like with no ceremony at all and then well, the she's second the movie, boba fett character exactly exactly in the second movie they bring her back and she's like i'm 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 even i'm real mad at you now and i'm even more angry than before and i'm back killed again with less <laughs> screen time in an even more like ridiculously definitive way i hope they bring her back in every movie and just kill her again and that's kind of what i wish they would do with david arquette is like each time they're a little bit more elaborate and like look at the camera and they're like no we actually saved him this time we did it like every every movie but he he makes it through three without a scratch is that what happens no no but it's not quite it's not quite the same. In 3, mm. he actually kind of gets to be the hero and actually kill the bad guy in the end. He gets a part of that. Because that's one thing I was so, I've was i always been disappointed about with the first movie. That he doesn't... Like, they give Courtney Cox the save at the end. And, and I feel like that belongs to David Arquette in that movie. Yeah. I do not feel like she deserves the the save there at the end. I, I feel like Dewey deserves it. And it's always bugged me. But now that they've done it the same way where he, like... appears to die and then survives in two movies in a row. Now I find it funny. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. So I think, I mean, what the vibe I'm getting here is that David Arquette kind of made this role work on accident because like, well, that's what makes, (laughs) what makes Dewey so funny. Okay. Well, first of all, like if he had been cast as Billy, it wouldn't have worked at all because like the reason that character is so interesting is because he's like, you know, dark and brooding, but he's definitely like, you know, the, the hot goth boyfriend for this girl, Sydney, like the protagonist. And it really works. If it was just David Arquette with his little mustache, you would have been like, Oh, it's absolutely him. Are you kidding? (laughs) It's a hundred percent him. He's so creepy. And she won't have sex with him. He's obviously going to kill her. Like you just, it, it doesn't work. But when he's cast as Dewey, who is like clearly written to be this hunky, like, hero cop he plays it like that but it's just a little off because he's just a little weird about it right that's what makes it so funny and that's what i think elevates both of those characters and that basically is just david arquette's character in every movie from there on out yes and it works brilliant i mean all the great ones are like that tom cruise is the same in every movie denzel washington's the same in every movie i mean that's the way it is so david arquette he found it and he he perfected that kind of slightly, you're not quite sure if he's mentally slow, but he might be kind of person, and it just works perfectly. <laughs> My favorite, so I will be honest, I, I love this movie. There wasn't as much David Arquette in it as I thought watching it for the David Arquette the second time. Yeah. 
there, <laughs> my favorite line, though, if we're just going to talk about that bit David Arquette did for a second, is the first scene at the school. He's he's talking to Courtney Cox's character, who plays this um, this sort of like she's a tabloid esque yeah, journal- a tabloid right, journalist. And there's a, even a bit where she asks her cameraman, "Has a tabloid journalist ever won the Pulitzer before?" And the guy's just like, no, but there's a first time for everything. And she's just like, great. Like, she knows what she is. And she's just chasing this really scandalous, you know, slasher story. And she's hitting on David Arquette. And you can't tell, like, at first you think, oh, she's just doing it to get access to the story, like, to get information. But at some point, a line is crossed and you're like, wait, is she really into Dewey? And if so, why? And it, like they just they have a really sweet relationship the rest of the movie with like it, it doesn't feel like that would fit their characters at all. But there's a bit where she says how old she asks him how old he is and he's 25. Yeah, which is wild because I'm 24 and <laughs> I'm just I'm like Dewey's got a lot of responsibility. I don't think I could handle all of that at my tender young age, but. And she says, oh, well, my target demographic is usually uh, 18 to 24, so I guess I just missed you. And like 10 minutes later, he goes, hey, I've been 25. I'm 25, but I was 24 for a whole year. And you're just (laughs) like, what? I think that was a good line, but I can't tell because he said it like he was trying not to forget his lines or something. Like the way he delivered it was just amazing. Hi, Gail Weathers, field correspondent, top story. I know who you are, Miss Weathers. How's the eye? It's productive. Is there a problem on campus? No, everything's under control. Well, of course, you're here. You're not supposed to be here. I know. I should be in New York covering the Sharon Stone stalker, but who knew? (laughs) You look awfully young to be a police officer. I'm 25 years old. You know, in a demographic study, I proved to be most popular amongst males 11 to 24. I guess I just missed you. <laughs> of course, you don't look a day over 12, except in that upper torso area. Does the force require you to work out? No, ma'am. Because of my boyish good looks, muscle mass has increased my acceptance as a Sears police officer. <laughs> I need your attention now, kids. Due to the recent events that have occurred effective immediately, all classes are suspended until further notice. The Woodsboro Police Department has issued a citywide curfew beginning at 9 o'clock tonight. Looks like we've got a serial killer on our hands. Well, serial killer's not really accurate. Gotta knock off a couple more to get that title. Well, we can help, can't we? (laughs) I mean, we certainly don't have any leads. Have you located Sydney's father yet? No, Well, he's not a suspect, is he? We haven't ruled him out as a possibility. If you'll excuse me. I'm sorry, am I keeping you? If I may say so, Miss Weathers. You are much prettier in person. So you do watch the show? I'm 25. I was 24 for a whole year. Like, that's just... Like, that shouldn't work at all, and he's so goofy, but endearing at the same time that he makes you love that character. That's well, the character in a nutshell. Well, another thing, though, that I'm, I meant to mention this earlier. So I was telling you how he, he almost dies in this one and then survives the end, and then the same thing happens in the second movie. This is where the theme song for our David Arquette segment comes from. You can't- 
Oh, yeah. Because it's called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. David Arquette, right. <laughs> Which I just I just find that hilarious. And I That's love that. Good. I love that so much. Um, so one of my favorite lines is in the second movie, actually, when he's talking with Randy, who is awesome. Randy, other than David Arquette... The character of Randy is the best character in these in in these movies. He, okay, is he in one? Yes, yes, yes. He's the video store guy. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. Because the first time I watched this movie, I thought that he had died. And watching it again last right. night, I was like, no, wait. And I think like you posted a picture from Scream Two, and I saw him. I was like, oh, I didn't know he was. I didn't know he made it through, but he has to because he's the guy yep. that points out all the movie tropes that right. they're following. Right, and and that's a hilarious bit. Because he mm-hmm. does it in the first movie and it's great. And he has probably the funniest line in the first movie when he's talking about, you know, who the suspects are and, and how everyone is a suspect. And he's like, I would be the prime suspect and all this stuff. And then he's talking about, you know, Billy. He's like, come on, you that guy, of course you'd think he would. And then Billy's right there, like staring at him very creepily. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. I'm telling you, the dad's a red herring. It's Billy. How do we know you're not the killer? Huh? Huh? Hi, Billy. Maybe your movie freaked mind lost its reality button. You ever think of that? You're absolutely right. I'm the first to admit it. If this were a scary movie, I'd be the prime suspect. That's right. Be your motive. It's the millennium. Motives are incidental. Millennium. Hmm. Millennium, I like that. That's good. It's the millennium. Good kid. Millennium. Good word, my man. Are you telling me that's not a killer? And he like yeah. kind of threatens him and walks away, and then he just turns to, to Matthew Lillard and is just like you're telling me that guy's not a psycho killer that is my that's probably the funniest line of the whole movie and that kills me every time and then you know he's the one who gives everyone the rules when they're in the house the Mm -hmm. horror movie Mm -hmm. rules which actually i have pulled up here so uh all right so these are the rules according to randy and scream uh you cannot survive the movie if you have sex that's a given you cannot survive the movie if you drink or do drugs and you cannot survive the movie if you say, I'll be right back, hello, or who's there? <laughs> Which, you know, is, is pretty, that uh, makes sense. But he comes back in the second movie to talk about sequels and what makes up a sequel. Like, the Perfect. body counts are higher, there's more gruesome kills, and like, all this other stuff. And then, okay, spoiler, I, I, I don't know if you care, Harris. But I mean, I'd probably watch it. Well, I mean, we're already here, so I'm not going to say no. <laughs> OK, he dies in the second one. Oh, OK. And so you're like, oh, that's kind of sad. I like that character. In the third movie, they run into his sister <laughs> who has a videotape where he at some point during two recorded a tape in the event that he dies explaining trilogies just in case this happens again to everyone and there's a five minute segment of him in a videotaped recording explaining trilogies in the third movie and it 
is amazing. Oh, it is so, I, like this movie is so making fun of itself the whole time. It's that's what makes it so great. That's incredible. Okay, I, I want to get back to that point in just a second. But first, I want to say I love in movies where there's a moment where you can tell the writers just looked at each other and were like, why not? Like, what are they going to do? Right. Why not? This movie, the whole movie is that. Yeah, for sure. But like <laughs> the original one. I mean, I think is great because it pokes at itself, but it's also got such a good, strong story that like it's making fun of other horror movie cliches while telling its own story really well. I haven't seen two or three, so I don't know how well that happens, but you have to part of like being a sequel and getting bigger is acknowledging that you're going bigger. And at that point you are inherently like making fun of yourself a little bit like the second time having him do it again and talk about sequels i think is just good storyline escalation by the third one where they kill him off but literally bring him back in a tape recorder <laughs> that's the point where okay the golden example of this and this is way off topic but it's like my favorite thing in the world because i can't believe it's real and i talk about it every chance i get are you from have you seen the oceans 11 movies yes yes okay well, okay uh, the first one is an all-time classic amazing and the second one I didn't really like, and the third one I think is good again. I mean, that's that's pretty much the consensus, right? But right. <laughs> there's a moment. So the whole, you know, it's this star-studded ensemble, and it's just cool people, like, looking cool and doing cool things while cool, like, jazz music plays in the background. Yep. That's the whole franchise, and it's fun. But there's a moment in Ocean's 12, which is like, it's like a it's it's like a deleted scene in a movie. Like if you watch a movie you really like, and then you watch the deleted scene, and you're like, "Oh, I see why they left that out because it was fine, but it didn't really add much." That's like the entire movie. Yeah. But there's a bit in that movie where they have to try and like sneak someone in to some opening or a gala or a museum. I don't remember it that well. All I remember is they're trying to think of a cover of of a way to stir up publicity and like get someone in the door. And Matt Damon looks at one of his friends and says, wait a second. Don't you think Tess kind of looks like Julia Roberts? (laughs) And I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. That is the single dumbest like who cares we're making this movie and people will still go see it line that, is that I've great. ever seen in my life. And they dress Tess, who is George Clooney's wife, played by Julia Roberts, up as Julia Roberts. And I'm pretty sure there's also a bit where Julia Roberts plays Julia Roberts. And it's just madness. But yeah. I respect it so much. And that's what – okay, bringing it all back to Scream, that, they kind of do that. But especially in the first movie – it doesn't get in the way of like the proper story, which is right. really, really, really good. They 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 walk this incredible line between black comedy and satire with an actual horror movie. And I Yeah. They tow this line like it almost becomes airplane so many times. But every yeah. time it almost goes there, they pull it back and actually have a dramatic or suspenseful moment. And I don't yeah. know how they were able to pull this off, but somehow it works. Even in even in like two, 
there's there's a couple of moments where it's like that's really good. Like it, there's some really good scenes in two of like suspense and tension and terror. You know, even in that, with how ridiculous all of it is, and and yeah. one's full of it, with it being a, almost a comedy at times. Yeah, I, I will say so. It's a different movie when you know who the killer is. And that's why I'm yeah. glad you, you haven't said who or, you know, like what is behind it in two and three. Right. Because what makes that like the first one is so good because it's a horror movie, but it's also a murder mystery. It's, like, a, it is it's a, a whodunit. whodunit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that that's a I didn't realize until watching it for the second time how big of a drive that is mm-hmm. when you know like this is the mark of. I think this means it's a good movie, but it's not as good of a slasher movie because I think of like classic slasher movies as like doing it for the kills. Like you're almost rooting for Jason just to get a high body count Mm -hmm. because you're bored and you want to see things happen. It's kind of like wrestling. Like you just want, you know, a spot (laughs) fest and not a really well told story. This is a great story, but once you know who it is and what's going to happen, it's not as intense. Like, First time through, this is probably like in my top ten favorite movies, or at least most intense. Like mm-hmm. Sydney is a great character, yeah, and I, is. it's fascinating to watch her kind of play that role of like the damsel in distress, but also she's cool and she fights back really well. And you know, like this is a whole, this is a major plot point of the movie. Like eventually, she has sex, and it's like a big moment for her. And then she doesn't die anyway, you know, like just kind of trying to push back against a lot of the horror movie stereotypes and do her own thing and be her own character. Mm -hmm. That's super fun to watch. And the reason I haven't seen any of the sequels yet, and I probably will at some point, was just because that first time through was so great and was so intense. I kind of did the same thing you did. I was like, I don't need to see this. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference between sequels that are made because there's like a bigger franchise out there a bigger story to be told and sequels that are made because they were like whoa that made a lot of money now to be fair the original idea was to make three movies with this like that was part the because the writer is kevin williamson and Mm -hmm. he wrote this screenplay and then wrote the beginnings for two and three potential sequels and to to help sell it being like this could be a franchise so okay so there was an idea for – and Wes Craven directs all four of them also. Okay. So there was kind of an idea, but but I, I totally agree with you as far as – like like you do not need the sequels at all. Like yeah. you, you, you don't. The, the first one is perfectly fine and hold, totally holds up on its own. Um, but actually but, – but speaking of the writer, it's kind of interesting. You know what the original – the original title of this movie was Scary Movie. Which right. is very funny because, of course, a few years later, they actually made a movie, Scary Movie, which is like a parody of this one, which is almost a parody of horror movies. So it's very that there's a lot going on with with, with all of that. Right. But uh, and he he wrote it. He was partially um, um inspired by the Gainesville Ripper which was a real serial killer in Gainesville, Florida, which killed how many people killed like eight people or something like that over a span of like, okay, he murdered five students over like four days 
1990. And so it was a, you know, huge deal in any way. So that was, he was, he saw that story at the time. And that's what kind of helped him mm-hmm. write this, uh, write this movie. And then he added in all his appreciation for horror movies into the script, you know. And, and so this is one of the first, the 90s was the first time when pop culture started to get into pop culture. Yeah. Which, and, and it's never, it, it, we have gone so far jumping the shark with this since then. But, uh. You know, one of the first big ones was like Reservoir Dogs and Tarantino. Yeah. And so this was really the first horror one to to do that. You know, I mean, it constantly mentions Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, when a stranger calls, mm-hmm. they use that all the time. Yeah. You know, there, there's, yeah. there's a lot of that in there. And I feel like that's part of the appeal to it because we love pop culture referencing pop. I mean, that is Every, that is every single movie now and so watching it that that's what helps the movie not feel dated is yeah. stuff like that because it's almost made like a movie would be made now it was just it just did it first that's the thing it feels i thought about that i think the first time i watched it was last year last you know last october maybe it was two octobers i don't mm-hmm. remember but it was recently and it feels like it could have been made this year Right. Almost entirely. Like with the exception of like the like they look a little different. And yeah. The, like the technology and, is yeah, different. Yeah, the phones But and the everything. way they talk, the way they act, like the way everything plays out, it it really is timeless. And it's, you know, it's a little bit 90s. Like I said, you can yeah, tell just sure. from some of the style and stuff. But The second one is much more 90s than the first one. I will say I that. I wonder how that works. That's just very interesting to me because you're right. They struck this perfect tone. Uh, it, it's really just – it's the story itself, right? It's like you said. It's all those references. It's the way they like uh, – the expression is hang a lantern on. Any yeah. movie trope or silly thing that might be happening, even as it's happening, that you just immediately dismiss it like you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Or you double take on it, like that bit at the beginning where he's like, he looks at Bill and he's like, "You're telling me that guy's not a psycho?" And then <laughs> they intentionally play with you, right? Like he sneaks in one night to see her right after the killer's been in her house and right. drops a cell phone, and she's like, "Wow, it's him!" and gets him arrested. And then you're like, "Oh, well, now it can't be him because exactly. it's too early." And then and then he gets out, and you're like, "No, wait, no, now it's back to being him." And then you think he dies, and you're like, "Oh no, no, it's not him." And then he co- it's like. They do like a quadruple take. Yes, and it works. Like it does. there's not a you you don't see it coming. The roller coaster ride this movie takes you on. Again, hopefully you've seen it because you just listened Again, to all spoilers. of that. It's incredible. I mean, it's just it it's so so well done. And the fact that they keep pointing out anytime they do something that's dumb and illogical, or they yes. foreshadow <laughs> themselves doing something dumb and illogical, right, is but- just great. But another thing, because uh, I want to talk about this, like this basically revitalized horror movies at the yeah. time. Like they were dead pretty much at this point. Because it was all the classic like 80s slashers, but they'd burned themselves out. It they was, didn't really have anything new to do anymore. Yeah, they were in m- sequel after sequel. Uh, like, okay, I, I have a list of some of the top horror movies going back to 1991. So obviously in 91 you had like Silence of the Lambs. But other ones are like Cape Fear, Subspecies, mm-hmm. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which I think is the fifth or sixth one, Child's yeah, Play 3, Puppet Master 2, like Troll 2. Like 
it was all sequels or direct-to-video direct movies. That was mostly what it was. In 92, you have Dead Alive, uh, Keanu Reeves, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, you did have Candyman. That, that, was, that was a pretty big one. You have Alien 3. You know, like, and then, let's see, 90, 93, you got Jurassic Park, which, uh, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't put that as horror movie. I no, get, I, I get either. some people that would, to me, it's more adventure yeah, action. Same. You could definitely say monster movie, but I wouldn't say horror, but you got that. Let's see. Kronos, Fire in the Sky, The Eight Immortals, Restaurants. I don't know what that is. These are just lists of like. <laughs> I was gonna, you're just making stuff up. It now. sounds like it. And then you got, let's see, 94. You got that little monster, Puppet Master 5, uh, Brain Scan, Phantasm 3. These are movies I've never even heard of. Yeah. And then 90. And then in 95, the number one is 7, which that's not a horror movie at no. all. Like to me at all. That is a crime thriller um, drama movie. Yeah. Like Day of the Beast, The Prophecy. Like I've never, I don't know any of these movies. I mean, there was nothing happening really with horror movies, and then Scream comes out in 1996 and just totally jumpstarts the genre again, doing something totally different, but playing with the, like we said, horror cliches and tropes that we've talked about and everyone recognizes. So it's very, it's so easily digestible. Because it's everything you know, but flipped on its head. Yeah. I think that pretty much nails it. I mean, the thing is, like, the thing that everybody remembers is the references to other horror movies. Like, that hanging a lantern on it over and over again. That's what we spent most of this time talking about. But, like, I'm it's. I'm glad that they called it Scream and not Scary Movie. Because I feel like Scream gets gets across that level of, like, sort of generic scary, right? Yeah, but that that was a movie. big thing too. Um, when it was originally bought, which d- that doesn't age well, but it was bought by the Weinstein's, and um, and put on by Dimension Films, and uh, they actually beat out Oliver Stone in a bidding war for for this movie. So interesting, it, you know, it went to Miramax, and uh, um, sorry, I totally just blanked. On what I was talking about. What did you just say? Well, oh, yeah, the, 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 title, the title. The title. Yeah. yeah. The wine. Uh, Bob Weinstein was talking about. Was talking to Craven early on about changing the title. Like they changed the title at like the last minute. Like mm-hmm. it was. They were. They were pretty much done filming, and then they changed it. The Weinstein's wanted to change it to Scream from Scary Movie. Um, apparently they were inspired by the Michael Jackson song Scream, and hmm. they thought the that title scary movie was didn't fit like that it was a horror and like yeah. the horror and violence element like yeah and then there's so much satire and comedy like there's so much stuff they thought that scream was better and like craven and the writer williamson and they didn't like it at all they thought it was a dumb title but then of course it ended up being perfect and they all agreed yeah. that it was a great it ended up being a great title I wonder if this is just me knowing that Scary Movie would become the parody, but it just sounds more like a parody. Yeah, it does. You know, by coming straight, like coming straight out and calling it Scary Movie is the sort of uh, what a, what a, what is the phrase I'm trying to think of here? Mm. That's the kind of like a little bit too on the nose <laughs> laying things out for you 
yeah. that the movie kind of avoids because the whole time it's giving you these horror cliches. It's either running them back and you're thinking about it like, wait, does that mean this person's about to die or do this? Like there's a bit, you know, where uh, Randy is his name, right? Uh, he goes – yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- never, ever, ever say you'll be right back. Right. Because you won't be back. You'll be dead. And then um, Shaggy, Matthew, the, the other guy. Yes, yeah, Stu. Shaggy. Stu. <laughs> yeah. Stu goes, I'm going to go get another beer. You want anything? He says, nah, man, I'm good. He says, I'll be right back. And everybody goes, <laughs> oh, and he like runs out. So they, you know, they're on the nose, but they're never too on the nose. They're always giving you something to chew on. Like they're smarter than that. I feel mm-hmm. like just calling it scary movie is a little too dumb for this movie, if that makes sense. Right. Um, all right. So let's go. Let's talk about some casting stuff because there's some interesting, interesting things with this. We talked okay. about we've talked about David Arquette and some of uh-huh. that stuff, but uh, we got to talk about one of the biggest things. Drew Barrymore was the biggest promotional piece of this movie. And she's not the main character. This is one of those things that I, I I know that. And I just I wish more than anything that this is one of those movies that I could have like seen the marketing for and gone into with fresh expectations. Yep. Because coming into this movie, I knew that that was the opening scene. I'd seen clips of it. I hadn't seen the whole thing, but, you know, like quotes and stuff. And I didn't know what would happen but i got the feeling it probably wasn't anything good right but going into that movie with her as the big star because she was huge oh, right she was I mean, massive she was like at the, this point she was the biggest person in there i mean they they pulled a psycho yeah they without did. ever having to reference it. that's exactly what they did it's yep. incredible yep um and uh yeah we got to talk the opening scene is is the best part in the movie and it is <sighs> It's so good. There's a reason why it's so iconic at yeah. this point because it's just brilliant. It 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 mixes – it blends everything so well together and then Drew Barrymore's just fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's so terrifying and the suspense it builds is so believable. Now, the only things that's not believable throughout the whole franchise, there's no way that guy moves that fast. Like <laughs> – the, the, okay, like Steve was fine. The lights went out for a few seconds and then came back on, and now his he's like completely gutted. You're like you can't gut someone that quickly, right? So there's a little I bit. I mean, of that, well, but I think part of that is just how they set it up. You can tell he's been hurt, sure, but you can't tell how or how badly, which kind of reflects like the state of mind she's in because she's freaking out and can tell that like. He's been hurt and probably killed, but she didn't see it happen and she's too disoriented. You're right. not wrong. Even if we consider, you know, kind of the game breaker twist that there's two of them, it still doesn't really fit. No. You know? But uh okay, so so going back to casting. So Drew Barrymore originally signed on to play uh Sydney. Would not have worked. And and that is the whole reason basically the movie got made was uh-huh. her attaching herself to to the script um but then at you know but then at the last moment she ended up having to do something else i'm not quite sure what it was but she ended up having to do there was some commitment that the conflict and she wasn't going to be able to play that like do film that much so she then plays you know the 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 role of casey right at the beginning 
which you know get, get you know she could only film for a little bit but it becomes this huge shocking twist yeah. and it immediately sets the tone of anyone can die in this movie yeah which is something that is so hard to do with horror movies because you're like okay you know the main character is not going to die because they're the main character we need them the whole right. time Right off well, the bat, I'm, when you kill off Drew Barrymore in the first scene, you're like, oh, okay, no one's safe. See, that's the kind of thing, like, I can think of several examples of this, but it's so rare to me that it's happened to me that I assumed this person was going to be fine and then they died. Because all of the classic examples are so classic that I know them. Like, I right. knew about Psycho before I ever saw Psycho. And it's still incredible. I love that movie. But you know going in. So right. it's a different movie for you than it was for the people who saw it in theaters. Same thing with Scream. Like I knew the opening scene was iconic and watching it, it was still incredible. But like I knew that scene is great because like you said, it sets the tone for everything that's going to happen in the movie. Like the horror and like the kind of, you know, the teenage hormones and the horror movie references all bundled together in this perfect package. And then like you said yeah. – anyone can die. The other example that I just heard today thought about today is uh Stephen King's it, which have you seen yeah. that? Oh yeah. yeah. So every like everyone knows what happens to Georgie at the beginning. That's right. just, it's a classic movie moment, horror movie moment. But if you're reading that book or you're watching that movie for the first time, like anybody can be killed. Even a cute little six year old boy can get his arm ripped off and die in the middle of the street. Like it's horrifying. Mm hmm. But that's the perfect way to start your movie because it's exactly what you just said. It's like, hey, strap in because you don't know what's going to happen. It's it's perfect. Yeah. Um. So since she was no longer going to play Sydney, they had to find another one. And they auditioned Alicia Witt, uh, Brittany Murphy. And then they apparently they approached Reese Witherspoon for the role, but she didn't officially audition. And then Nev Campbell was on Party of Five, which was a huge TV show at the time, which I have not watched, so I can't speak about it. I was going to say, I didn't recognize any of those names except for Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, but so Wes Craven had seen her, and so he thought she could play kind of the both roles of like innocent, but also, you know, realistically physical and, and you know, all that stuff. So yeah. she ended up... Uh, auditioning and, and then got got the role for the movie and she, like we said earlier she's just fantastic in this movie i this is one of those things that again i think happens all the time in great movies that like it didn't go according to plan they had to cast somebody different they had to shake things up but it's in shaking those things up that you make like what makes the movie great yeah this doesn't work with Drew Barrymore in that role. I don't. I, again, it might just be like the scary movie thing, knowing it's a parody. Seeing the movie as we see it now, like I can't imagine Drew Barrymore doing that. the The reason I feel like it works so well is Drew Bar. She feels like Sydney feels cool in a way that Drew Barrymore doesn't. If that makes sense, like she's an outcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I Drew agree. Barrymore is always is very much like. That whole scene, I don't know if it's just the way she acts or talks or the fact that her boyfriend plays football, but you get real cheerleader vibes from her. Mm -hmm. And the whole movie is, you know, this girl on the outside trying to fit in. It's much more Ripley from Sure, Alien. yeah, 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 that's a good call. And much less, you know, like 
blonde high school queen. Like it just doesn't work the same way. Ripley is the thing I thought of a lot, especially at the end, which we can talk about in a yeah, minute. That's a good but call. yeah, um, I knocked it out of the park. Great casting. Yeah. <laughs> so then for Gail Weathers, uh, there was a few people, but one of the bigger <laughs> ones was Brooke Shields. Apparently, was auditioned, oh, wow. which would have been very different of a, of a yeah. role. But then Courtney Cox. The biggest thing for her, because Friends was already huge at this time. Right. And she wanted to play a different character. Like, she wanted to play, like, a mean, like, bitchy character because mm-hmm. she's, you know, the nice guy in in Friends. And so that that's, like, the biggest reason. And that was one of the reasons why it was actually hard for her to get the role because people saw her as, you know, the nice, the nice girl. Yeah. But she eventually was able to, you know, land that role and... She's fantastic in this movie. She is so punchable and gets punched so many times, and it's so satisfying. Every time it happens, you're just like, yeah, screw I it. will say, maybe it's just because I know it's Courtney Cox, and you're like, oh, Courtney Cox, I like her. The face turn kind of comes out of nowhere, and you don't it feel does. like she changes that much. Yeah, which, well, like, she doesn't. I don't, here's the thing. I don't feel like she's that much of a bad guy. Like From the point where she starts hitting on Dewey on, I'm just kind of like, Wait, huh? She doesn't seem that bad. She's kind of, you know, she's a sleazy reporter. By the way, second best line in the movie is another one of those little hang a lantern on it moments where you just said her name. She's sitting in the truck and she's like, yeah, I mean, my name's Gail Weathers. I sound like a Weather Channel reporter. Like, how am I supposed to get people to take me seriously? And you're just like, wait, they named her that? Are you serious? Yeah, that that's a good that's a good call. That's a good line. That, that's well done. Uh, and then, and then of course, we got Rose McGowan as the best friend kind of character, mm-hmm. which, of course, we get. And she's also playing the younger sister of Dewey. Yeah. Which is a little weird when it you think doesn't... of... When you think of Ready to Rumble, and they're back in the same movie, but not as brother and sister... <laughs> And as lovers, I just realized that she was in that movie. <laughs> Until you said that, I would never have guessed. But you're right. Okay, then. Little, you know, little, little strange. But uh, little, yeah. But it's fine. Okay. It's fine. It's, it's, it's weird. all make believe. It's weird that they're brother and sister because I feel like that doesn't come up that much in the movie. Like there's a scene where, like, when Sydney leaves the police station. They take her home, yeah, and then Dewey's like there for a bit, but it's not really necessary that he be there. He could have just driven them both home. Like it doesn't. Well, I don't know if it adds anything, does it? Wait, are you talking about when they're like when she's sleeping over at Tatum's house? Yeah. Well, he lives there. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, why are why is Dewey and Tatum brother and sister? What does that add to the story? It's just it, it kind of adds, a weird coincidence. Like I don't it's know. fine, but it adds a connection between Dewey and Sid. I guess I don't know. Yeah, they yeah, use like, that a lot in the other two movies, also. Because okay. otherwise, it's like, why would Dewey care about this person? And it's like, right, oh, like because it they, was the best friend of of his sister who was yeah. killed. Yeah, they know each other better. I guess yes. that makes sense. So I I think it makes sense. I mean, it's fine. I wasn't complaining. I just I feel like they mention it a few more times than it seems like it actually does anything. But, yeah. you know, I guess that is just the point that they know each other a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. And then uh, Skeet Ulrich, um, or Ulrich, was, uh, is, of course, Billy Loomis, which 
That name is a callback to Halloween, in mm-hmm. case anyone didn't mm-hmm. realize that, with, with Dr. Loomis there. And, uh, I don't, he, he's not a guy I'm really super familiar with, a bunch, with a bunch of stuff. Um, he was in Weekend at Bernie's as an extra, apparently. And he's in, <laughs> he's in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, at some point, hmm. as an extra, I think. And then, he done a couple of things, but this was really his big breakout. And... He's fantastic in this movie. I mean, he plays, as we talked about earlier, the character. He plays this creepy boyfriend who you kind you like, but also think is creepy. Yeah. And I feel like he toes that line really well. He also looks exactly like Johnny Depp, which yeah. I feel like why he was cast. Because, of course, Johnny Depp got his start in Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven's other huge horror franchise movie. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Which everyone forgets that Johnny Depp is in that movie until they watch it again. And (laughs) so that's the whole time I'm just sitting there. Every time I watch him, I'm just like, he just looks like Johnny Depp, which is is pretty funny. And then, of course, the only thing I know of him doing recently is he's been in Riverdale (laughs) as the dad (laughs) of of Jughead. Of course he has. I don't know what else he's done. But anyway. That um, is hilarious. So that was a good thing. And then we talked about him a little bit uh, with uh, Matthew Lillard as Stu. Now, this is a guy I feel like has gotten a short end of the stick as far as careers go. Like, I feel like this guy, I, I love Matthew Lillard, and I think he should have had a better career than he did. I feel like Shaggy killed him. I, I really do. See, I feel like that was the end. Here's the thing, though. Like, obviously those movies are bad, but one, I think a lot of people of my generation who watch them as kids are like, oh, yeah, Shaggy. Like, right. cool. Because he, he he wasn't the reason they were no, bad. No, he he's, did a good he's job. good as a Shaggy. I agree. I think he's a good Shaggy, but that, so he, I, he really didn't do I anything after from. that. He was He's a good Shaggy, and he's terrifying in this. Oh, man, like, he's so good. And, you know, he didn't even – this was totally random. Like, he was apparently accompanying his, his girlfriend at the time to an audition for something else that just happened to be in the same building as the, the auditioning for this movie. And mm-hmm. one of the casting directors just saw him in the hallway and asked him to audition. And then he got the part and is perfect. I That's incredible. Okay, I want to talk about this for a second too. So he and Billy Loomis are great when you – you know, the, the double twist at the end is that it's both of them working together. Yeah. Because they're both so different. Mm-hmm. If I can just make this wrestling comparison for a second. They're like a tag team. They complement each other very well because they have certain key things in common. Like they like to sneak around in ghost face masks and murder people, especially young women. But they're going about it in two completely different ways and like two completely different styles where Loomis is like this is a lot of this is just on casting and the presence that that guy has. Mm -hmm. But he's such a good counterpoint for Sydney. Like he's a good partner for her because they're both kind of like outcasts they're both kind of you know edgy sort of yeah and he is more of a bad boy than she is so you understand the connection there you understand why she's into him and like what the temptation is there and you're kind of scared for her, but you're also like hey this guy's really cool and i hope it's not him and then i hope he survives after the you know he gets stabbed and you don't know it's him yet yeah so he he has your sympathy kind of from the start. And you could see, like, in another world, like, he's kind of the anti-hero or this movie is about him. Yeah. He's inherently likable, even though you can tell 
he's got like a dark past or whatever. Like he's cool. Yeah. Matthew Lillard is just like kind of insane from the start. <laughs> and you think it's kind of he's he's the annoying friend. He's the annoying friend you think is going to get killed off. Yeah. I mean, they play into that because he's the one who's like, I'll be right back and like runs out. And he's not, you know, he's not in the movie for the rest of the movie until that reveal at the end. And I thought, oh, yeah, he got killed off somewhere and we're going to like find his body. That's clearly what they like tee him up for. Because he's been this douchebag the whole time, you know, just kind of annoying and talking about sex and drinking and drugs all the time and making fun of all the main characters. Like, completely different character on the way in before the twist. And then after the twist, he doesn't have any real reason for doing it. Like, Loomis has, you know, been personally... That's the best part. Yeah. Because originally in the script, there was no motive. For, yeah. for the killings at all. Like, neither one of them. It was just a random. And because Williamson, the writer, thought it was scarier that way. He thought killers with no motive is more terrifying than with motive. But the studio wanted motive. So he compromised. And he put in a motive for Billy. And then not one for Stu. And even in the movie, he's just like, she just goes, Stu, what, what, what is he? Why are you doing this? He's like, peer pressure. <laughs> that's incredible and i tell you i love that compromise i think that balance is perfect because especially like like i said the reason the twist works is because you like billy he seems cool and you want the two of them to work out and you feel bad for him because he's been yeah. like, falsely accused yeah exactly so it, it wouldn't have made sense if he was just randomly like no girlfriend i just actually want to kill you yeah. For no reason, because you believe that they have a connection, and then later you find out they have more of a connection, you know, than you think. And the reason he's doing all of this makes sense. But you're right; it is terrifying that Stu's like, "I'm just kind of into this. I'm having a good time, and I'm young, and I'm dumb, and I don't care." That's terrifying. Yeah, they're lying. That's real. They're lying when she's talking to him on the phone after she escapes. And she's like, I called the police. And he's like, did you really call the police? And she's like, yeah. He's like, my mom's going to be so mad yes! at me. <laughs> yes. But that's all, like, that's how tw it's, it's hilarious. But it's also terrifying because yeah. of how like stunted his mind is. You know what I mean? Yes, it is. Like he means that. That's genuinely the thing he's most concerned about. And like didn't think about till that point, which just makes it all the more unsettling. Another funny part is. So I'm watching this with my dad for the first time, mm -hmm. and the whole movie, he's like, this killer is so stupid. Like, the whole time, because it is. He's constantly bumping into things and tripping yeah, over and, stuff. And he's like, There's this a is, lot of bumps. He's like, he this is the worst. Hard. He's like, this is the worst serial killer ever. And I just kind of had to sit there and be quiet. Yeah. Because, of course, at the end, you realize these guys are just a couple of buffoons. They're just guys, right. And that's why. So it all makes perfect sense looking back at it. And I yeah. love that. It's kind of – so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to segue into the ending for a second. But it, it does kind of well, – I'll, I'll bring back wrestling psychology for a second just because this is technically a wrestling podcast. The killer bumps like crazy mm -hmm. for all of these people. Which He really puts you, over all these, all these uh, yeah. victims. Well, that's why it's such a great movie, you know? It's, it spreads the rub around. It does. But you, not knowing the twist or how it's going to end, it does kind of register. You're like, oh, this is just a guy. 
But that's kind of what makes it work is it's just a guy and you can slam the door in his face and he'll fall over <laughs> or somebody else will come in the house and he'll run away because he's just a guy in a mask with a knife. Yeah, that's super interesting. And in the moment, it's more exciting. And, and it's funny to rewatch it knowing that it is just a guy, you know, but it's also funny to rewatch it and just watch it from a movie perspective and see how many literal actual bumps the dude takes. <laughs> like there's a scene where when he's going after Tatum in the garage, he literally like at one point she ducks down and he does like a front flip tripping over her. <laughs> I mean, it really is like a wrestling match or like he throws himself at her and misses and like crashes off of the fridge just in really comically over the top fashion. Yeah. It's very transparent, but I love, and you mentioned this before, like, again, I get Ripley vibes from this character of Sydney because there's that moment at the end where she turns the tables and she's like, no, you're done. Like, there's not going to be a second jump scare. I called the cops. You're going to prison. And the last scene of that movie is Billy, you know, and he takes his eyes off her for a second and she disappears. Yeah. Calls him on the phone, taunts him on the phone. And then pops up and kills him. Yep. And it's so satisfying. And it's the ultimate. I'm trying to think of a wrestling analogy. And I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But it is the perfect like baby face queuing up their finisher. And then hitting it on the heel. After, well it's like, the baby face catching fire. And, yes. And, and, and making the comeback. She up. Yeah. And she hits that running knee on him, and it's beautiful, man. <laughs> it's really – it's so satisfying, especially the first time you watch this movie and you don't know what's going to happen and you've seen all the stuff that she went through. And again, like it's it's a great movie because you care about this character so much and her growth and she's reluctant to let anyone in and then she lets this guy in. And then it turns out he's the killer and you just feel so bad for her. Yeah. That when she just snaps and takes him out, it's so satisfying. And then they even throw in Randy sitting there like they always come back. They always come back for one final thing. And then they just <laughs> and he does and she and she just shoots him. The only thing that would have made that better is if she just shot him without him getting up. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. what I always think of, but now no, that it's it's fantastic. Yeah, that that is pretty good. Okay, another thing we hadn't mentioned yet that I have to at least mention real quick. Freaking Henry Winkler, the unsung yes! hero of this movie, who is freaking incredible. Now, one Henry Winkler is amazing in everything. So that goes without <laughs> saying. And he as the principal is great. And the best part about his character other than the fact that it's just Henry Winkler and he's the best. It's it's that okay in the scene where he gets killed, it's right after you know the students played a prank and wearing wearing the costume and he just gets so mad at him and expels them, and then he's sitting there, like after hours, school's done, and he's like walking around his office and he constantly sees his reflection in the mirrors and is scared every time. It happens like three times. When he, like, casually goes past a mirror and, like, glances over and starts. And it is so funny. And I will bet you anything that is just Henry Winkler doing that. There's no way that was in the script or that was a director's, like, action. Like, I will bet you anything he did that on his own. And it's amazing because it's such a nice little touch. 
one, it's funny, and two, it's just kind of with all this craziness going on, everyone's just a little bit on edge. Yeah. And it's such a great tone set for then when it ends up actually doing the the jump scare with the killer actually being there. It's like after three times of a slight little start, and then all of a sudden, he's actually there. And I love that. You know, to be honest with you, I've never noticed that before. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Because like all I'm thinking, the first time I watched it is... Who he's only in the movie for like ten minutes. Yeah, he's barely. You know in. what I mean? Like it's such a weird bit part because he shows up suddenly, gets a lot of screen time, chewing these two boys out, and he's a famous actor. So you're like, oh, is this a new character now? And then he's killed like almost immediately, and it's such a weird. It's just a pump fake from the movie. Well, you, you see know? him a little bit earlier when Sydney first. Uh... Like like when the attacks right. first happen or whatever, he he's in like Sydney's like in the office. But yeah, I think he's only in like right. those two scenes. He's in right. like that, he, and then right. later at the end, he doesn't really register middle. as a major character. So the next thing you see is he's like pulling a knife on and threatening these two kids who showed up in masks, and you're like, oh, this guy's crazy. Maybe it's him. Right. That's the and other. Then Ten great minutes thing. later, he's killed, and you're like, wait, no, it wasn't him. What is happening? It makes Why you was think. He in this, there's so what? many mis like uh. There's so many oh, – I blanked on pump the word. Pump fakes is the word. Yeah, I yeah, mean, sure. That's... There's so many pump fakes where, you, you know, they'll show, oh, you see, like, the killer wearing these boots or whatever. And then in the next scene, you see, like, Dewey has, like, the same boots. And you're like, oh, it could be him. Or yeah. the thing with Henry – you know, with Henry Winkler's character. And you're like, oh, it could be him. Like, I love that they constantly – they do that the whole movie, and it's great. And they do that with right. the other two movies, too, which is done pretty well also. That's a big part or of what – Three movies, sorry. I keep forgetting about Scream 4 because <laughs> no one cares. Because it's – it is a horror movie, and you're, you're scared for these characters. You're scared of the killer. But it isn't something like Friday the 13th or even Halloween where it's just a guy, and you know who he is, and he's coming. There's layers to the fear, and it it's the best elements of, like, a comedy – it's the best elements of like a drama, coming of age story, romance, whatever. It's the best elements of a horror movie, but it's also the best elements of a murder mystery where you are sitting there and your mind is spinning the whole time trying to figure out who it is. Right. That's part of what makes it so engaging because they're so good at planting all these little seeds that don't go anywhere. Yeah. But you think that they will. And it just it just takes you know it's a misdirect basically you miss what was right in front of you the whole time. Yeah. All right. So Scream was made for just fourteen million dollars. That was what it was made for. It made almost six and a half million dollars opening weekend. It ended up making over a hundred million dollars in the U.S. and over a hundred and seventy-three million dollars worldwide. Man. So it was a little bit of a success. It's pretty good. Is, is a good way to put that. Um, it has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes critic rating and a 79% viewer rating, which I don't know if I've ever seen the exact <laughs> same thing before. And I think that is vastly too low for a rating for this movie. I, I feel think like this it, movie's fantastic, but I think it's just probably aged a little better. Is the only thing? Maybe I, I feel like there were some people at the time that didn't appreciate the satire of it all. That's the only thing I can think of, but Possibly. you're right. That is far too low. Um, the second one has an 82% critic 
critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 57% viewer rating. I think both of those are wrong because I think 2 is a good movie. I don't think it's quite as good as the first one, but I think it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. But it definitely isn't better. And 2 made about the same. It made 172 over $172 million, over $100 million, but it had a budget of $24 million. So it was a little, it was more expensive, made about the same amount of money. And then the third one came and it kind of went downhill mm-hmm. from uh from there. That one only although it didn't make much less. It still made 161 million dollars, but the budget was now 40 million dollars. So little uh you know, little little bit less, but still not not too bad and it has a 37% critic rating and or 39% critic rating and 37% uh, user rating, which I think is a little unfair, also because <laughs> Scream Three is not great, but it's not bad. I, I I enjoyed all three of the original ones, but the first one is just such. I mean, it's it's a classic at this point. It, it's not even a cult classic. I mean, it is a classic. Yeah. And for very very good reasons, um, Scream Four came out way later, like in 2011. Uh, Scream 3 came out in 2000, and then 2011 was Scream 4. It made less than $100 million, which, I mean, it still made, you know, the for a $40 million movie, it still did okay, but right. it's it's not it's not great. And that actually was the last movie Wes Craven ever made before he died, was Scream 4. Wow. Which is kind of interesting there. That's weird. Uh... Yeah, so that's just some some facts and figures, I guess. My favorite thing about this is, like, I was googling just pictures of David Arquette to post on Twitter for you know previewing this episode. <laughs> and when you Google David Arquette's scream, a lot of things that comes up are like tabloid journalists saying David Arquette says he'd be interested in being in Scream Five, and you're like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he would. I'm pretty sure he'd be in it, like, with. Um, like 10 minutes notice he'd just be like i don't have the mustache is that okay and they're like yeah it's fine we'll just shoot it right now like he yeah like if courtney <laughs> cox was like i would be interested in scream five that's a headline yeah a little bit you Although know she like, wasn't david Arquette. she was still in scream four good for her and that was that's, that was while they were going through their divorce I'm yeah sure. that's so that's yeah, i don't that's know the timeline whole, there but that's a whole different story he mentioned that a little bit when we interviewed him about he did stream, and we we didn't four. touch it didn't no, touch it with no, the no, no, football. no 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 nope. no 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 we're not going anywhere near that <laughs> nope um but anyway i'm still just shocked that scream 4 was even made cuz this was made as a trilogy like it was pitched and kind of made as a trilogy it even makes fun of itself as yeah. a trilogy and so it is kind of weird that they ended up coming back like 11 years later and actually making a fourth one which is kind of Kind of, kind of strange. Um, yeah. And uh, another interesting thing here, actually, with the first movie, it was the highest-grossing slasher genre film of all time, and remained that until last year when Halloween, the remake, sequel, wow. whatever it was, made you know until then, at least in the United States, and it's the twentieth highest-grossing horror film. And it's still, and if you just for inflation, it's still, it would be the highest grossing slasher genre film 
um, of all time. Well, I was going to say, because if Halloween just caught it last year, that's, I mean, that's 20 years. Like, there must be some inflation going on there. That's that's good, though. That makes me, uh, that makes me happy that if you slide that scale for inflation it's still on top because i didn't see the new halloween i mean it can't be as good as scream it just no no the resounding impression that i got from everyone was like it's fine yeah they've certainly made worse halloween movies it's not halloween like the original see that's one of those i've only seen the first one i've heard the second one's good but i've just only seen the first one Mm -hmm. um i've I have seen, I did see the first two Friday the 13th because I watched the first one, realized Jason wasn't even in it. And then I was like, wait a minute. And so I watched the second one. He didn't even have the hockey mask. And I was like, wait a minute. All right. They're not getting me again. I'm not watching another That's one of these hilarious. movies. So I guess you watched those before you watched Scream then. Cause he very helpfully tells you at the very beginning that Jason doesn't appear okay. until the sequel. Yeah, I think I did know that, but I still, but I like, wasn't thinking about it or something. Yeah. Um, and then, but I have seen several, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's cause Nightmare on Elm Street is my number one f- hor- favorite horror movie of all time. And I need to watch it. I've never seen it. I, I that's, think that's on my I, list. to me, it's the best horror movie ever made. I mean, I understand Halloween psycho, you know, th- there's a lot of these that were b- before it, but I think the idea of Freddy Krueger is the scariest idea any movies ever had. Yeah. Um, and I think it's done just so, so well. And again, it's Wes Craven. So two of my favorite mm-hmm. horror movies were both Wes Craven and name another director who had two massive horror franchises and you can't because there's not one, at least not to this level. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, I would highly recommend watching number on Elm street, especially around now because it's a perfect yeah. time, perfect time to watch it. Do not watch the remake. I couldn't even get through it. Turned it off like 15 minutes in uh the second one is trash the third one's pretty good Nightmare on Elm Street is that dream 3. warriors yes it is that's not a bad movie it's goofy and silly it's like watching the 1966 batman show it it has its place it's not bad uh then the only other one i watched was new nightmare which is the one where s craven came back to direct it like and that came out like a couple of years before scream yeah, and it's very meta, right? It's I know very I want to see meta. that one too because it's all about them making the movie. That's very interesting. Right, so you can see where Wes Craven was then picked for Scream and, and kind of how that flows because yeah. that movie's very ahead of its time. It's not great. It should have been great, and so it's a disappointment to me because mm-hmm. it's a great idea. It's just not ex- executed potentially well in my opinion, but it's still, I'm just... a, a, it's still a, a well – it's a good idea and it's still worth seeing, I think. But I'm gonna watch it and just consider it what it is, which is like a sequel to yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, but also a proto prequel to Scream. But that's more yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those exactly. movies that's more interesting for the idea and to see, yes. hey, this is Wes Craven kind of bridging that gap and going in a few new directions that he would kind of perfect later. Exactly. That's the entire pitch of the movie. But definitely watch one and probably three Definitely one before watching new. Cool. New that I'll, sure. I will do that. Now I haven't watched the other like three or whatever because I, I don't, don't care. I don't. I don't. I don't no. care. But uh, anyway, um, so I think that's really all I got as far as as far as uh, this movie comes. I'm but, trying to think uh, of anything else. Do you know off the top of your head, just bringing it full circle, if David Arquette just had a mustache, or if that was an intentional character choice on their part? 
Because that's, I mean, that's iconic. I have that's to, pure Dewey. I have to assume that was a character choice. Like you kind of hope so, right? I, <laughs> I hope not, to be honest. I hope that was all him, but I would assume it was a character thing. But I don't, I don't know. I that, don't know for sure. That seems like the. I, I like to imagine that he made it as a character choice, but didn't tell anyone and showed up to <laughs> film with it, and the director was just like. I love you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. That is pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, so that is uh, the Scream and kind of the Scream franchise a little bit. We talked about some of the others slightly. Because right. I'm not yeah, I'm not going to watch all of the Scream movies. Sorry. I would recommend watching eh, – I, I, I would recommend watching two and three. I'm more likely to check them out now, but I just I was thinking about it in terms of a whole month. I'm oh, not yeah, gonna yeah, report yeah. back to you guys on the other. <laughs> all right, next on week. Four, next week, like, Harris. I want to know what you think of Scream Two. We're all gonna hold you to that. Yeah. And so, uh, please, uh, you know, let us let us know about 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 that because that that's exactly what we're. Uh, I think we're the only on uh, accountability. The next David Arquette halloween movie i guess is eight-legged freaks i'm trying to think if there's anything else out there i told you I'm not scream two yeah that's true <laughs> i guess he's still in it yes he's he's even a bigger character in the other movies oh okay well then maybe i maybe i will then maybe i'll have to he's a bigger character in two and three and four because he because think about it, i mean he's the only kind of you know the main characters that continue kind of on are Dewey, Gale, and uh, Sydney. So, right. you know, naturally, he's has a little bit more to do in uh, subsequent subsequent movies. There's is a funny thing in the second one where I'm not going to tell you what it is, but he kind of has a different character trait, and it really okay. throws you off. You're like, why is he doing that? And then, like halfway through the movie, they just offhandedly explain it. And you're like, oh, that's why. So like like a character points it out and is like, why is this happening? And then he mentioned he like offhandedly mentioned you're like, oh okay, I've been wondering about that this whole movie. So that's kind of funny. Hmm. But, okay. Uh, anyway, you don't have to. We we can either do that or we can do eight legged freaks. I don't care. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out again. I've got homework either way. Right. Right. Either way. So uh, yeah. Next week, I don't know if it'll be our main episode. Probably won't. We'll probably do a real episode mixed in there too but we're definitely going to talk another david arquette scary movie in some form probably not as in depth as this but you know what's unfortunate the only episode of this show i'm guessing that david arquette has ever listened to is the one where i just made fun of his movie for like an hour and a half and he's <laughs> never going to listen to this one where i'm like yo it's amazing and this franchise is amazing and david arquette's great like doesn't matter no nope, no you you had it's your fun. chance harrison you blew it by well, not appreciating you know, Ready to Rumble for the masterpiece that it is. Well, I am hardly alone there. Yeah, but you're wrong. <laughs> the majority's not always wrong. right. I have look, I have a fondness for it now that I did not before. So well, you two something. won me over. Well, that's good. Oh man. Anyway, so uh, that's a our our ending of a very odd episode of behind the grillo where it's actually not even a wrestling podcast today it's a movie podcast because we're talking about our patron saint david arquette and his his biggest movie everything's so far, wrestling so far. biggest movie so far everything's wrestling courtney cox has a face turn yeah sydney hulks up and yeah. powers through to get the win it's you there's know, a double turn yeah uh, it's, it's ghost ghost face 
puts over all the victims quite a bit. Yeah, he, bumps he, like he a lets madman. Him, he lets them get in their uh, their stuff. You know, he lets them get their stuff in before finishing mm-hmm. them them off. So cuts a lot of promos. Yeah, he does. There are there are a lot of promos cut in this movie for sure. So yeah, it's basically just watching wrestling. So yep. If you have any, if you have a problem with that, then forget it. You and all of you (laughs) ten people that listen to the show. All right. uh, So uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening to this very weird episode, and hopefully we didn't lose you. And they're all like, they're not a wrestling podcast anyway. Yes, we are. Just calm down. It's Halloween. We're doing something different. So sue us. Actually, don't. We don't have enough money. yeah, that's all I got, Harris. Any final thoughts? No, man. That's pretty much it. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, guys, at behind underscore gorilla. It's where we post all the updates to all the episodes and the podcast links. And and uh, tweet us any recommendations if you want us to talk about any weird thing in wrestling history or uh, David Arquette-related Please. Wrestling Halloween know. movies or events this yes. month while we yes. still have a couple weeks left because I'm into that right now. Yeah, that would help a lot. So any wrestling Halloween things, there's been plenty. So please just uh, let us know your favorite ones. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark and Mark Brand. And I'm at Harris Wilson. So go ahead and do that as well. And uh, that's all we have for you this week. I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. Have a great week.